Welcome to Gateway's podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Don Brock. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. You know, we uh, <clears throat> with the tornadoes that occurred this uh, these last few days and um, the devastation that's been caused. We do want to be mindful to pray for those affected. You know, as big as our country is, it, often it's easy for something uh, disastrous to happen in another part of our country, and we just kind of continue on with our lives and don't think about it. Um, but a lot of lives were lost, the damage and, uh, that was done. And I want you to know what we do as a church when these kind of things happen. We do this each time. Uh, part of your giving, uh, especially to missions, uh, we have contingency funds that are part of that missions giving. And when something like this happens, we send funds to our North American Mission Board and they send teams in that help. Uh, in fact, the, our teams with the Southern Baptists that go into these areas actually do more than almost any other organization. And they go in and they feed people, they help with housing, uh, they help people financially, they help them in every way possible. And so we fund that. We send resources uh, to that ministry uh, at the North American Mission Board because that way we know 100% of it is going directly to help individuals who are in dire need. And so when you give to missions and when you give uh, your uh, tithes and offerings, you're helping to do that. And so I just wanted you to be aware of that so that you know that your church is doing something in response uh, in any way that we can help. So just uh, continue to pray for those that have been affected, infected, uh, affected by this. And, um, and as we now enter into our Christmas season, um, today I wanted to talk about the first coming of Jesus. Next week, I want to talk about the last coming of Jesus, which hadn't happened yet, obviously. But the first coming of Jesus is just real important to understand some particulars about it. Because your faith is not based on wishful thinking. Your, fa your faith is based on factual events. And the story behind the story is so huge and so important that we understand this so that you have more confidence about your faith. And what makes being a Christ follower different from any other world religion. So I want to talk about just a couple of aspects of this. One begins in Luke chapter one. Um, Mary, the mother of Jesus, she's pregnant with Jesus and her relative, Elizabeth, we don't know what the relationship is. We think maybe they were cousins. So John the Baptist and Jesus were related somehow, maybe uh, second or third cousins. And Elizabeth, um, she was pregnant with John the Baptist. And, and, and so we pick up the story in Luke chapter one, when they first run into each other. It says, at the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child, so she's already pregnant with John the Baptist, leaped within her, or leapt within her. And Elizabeth was filled with God's Holy Spirit. 
Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclamation to Mary. God has blessed you above all women and your child is blessed. So she's actually speaking through the Holy Spirit there. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord, and I, lo I love that, she already recognized that her savior was in her cousin, was the child of her cousin. She's already acknowledging her Lord and his coming. Why, that the mother of my Lord should visit me. When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. Now imagine that. An unborn child is one of the first to rejoice at the coming of the Savior. Of course, we're told it's just a glob of tissue and really doesn't begin life until they're actually born. <clears throat> but maybe this would uh, kind of speak against that, right? Life begins at conception? Yes. And here's this child sent by God to be the forerunner of Jesus. He's going to spend his life. John the Baptist is going to spend his life being the forerunner of proclaiming the Messiah. And so when he's in the presence, even while he's still in the womb, when he's in the presence of his Savior that he is going to proclaim and one day baptize, even as an unborn child, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit in him recognized the living Savior in Mary. How is that even possible except to be explained through a spiritual manner? God's Holy Spirit. And so this unborn child was the first to celebrate the coming of the Savior. Anybody who wants to argue with you about life, abortions, show them this verse. Say, so how do you explain this? You know, throughout the New Testament, the apostles appealed in two different ways to establish that Jesus was the Son of God, Jesus was the Messiah. One of the ways was the resurrection. Obviously, that's huge. I, I mean, the resurrection, everything rises or falls on the life of Christ on the resurrection. I mean, if he didn't raise from the dead, then all bets are off. His life would have limited meaning. But the resurrection changed everything. And so they would say a lot. They would build their case based on the resurrection. The second way that they would do it was through the prophecies of the Old Testament. They would make references to prophecies from the Old Testament and how Jesus fulfilled those prophecies. And, and so the resurrection and fulfilled messianic prophecy from the Old Testament was how the New Testament apostles appealed to others about the legitimacy of Jesus as the Lord and Savior. 
Even Jesus himself talks about this in Matthew 5, 17. And I want to tell you, Jesus never shied away from declaring who he was. In Matthew 5, 17, he says, don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. So the laws of Moses kind of prepared the way for the Messiah and the prophets gave legitimacy of identifying the Messiah. And Jesus took that. He said, yeah, I came to fulfill these things. And in Luke chapter 24, Jesus said, when I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me, he, he, was, he was so confident about who he was. He didn't apologize about it. I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Written word, prophecies written over a long period of time by so many different people that would have never met each other, would have never known each other. They wrote prophecies given to them by God about Jesus. And so when we see this, and there's an event that happened in Jesus' hometown. And it's... Um, it's a pretty neat experience that we can easily gloss over, but it was a big deal. In Luke chapter four, it says, when he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read scripture. The scroll of Isaiah, the prophet was handed to him, not by accident. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this is, was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that the captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. And then Jesus rolled up the scroll and he handed it back to the attendant, attendant and he sat down. Everybody's eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. And then, then he said this. This is huge. Don't miss this. The scripture you've just heard, what I just read to you, has been fulfilled this very day. He didn't apologize. He didn't shy away from claiming his Messiahship. He said, this has been fulfilled today. You saw this being fulfilled. My goodness. I'm sure some looked at him and 
said, who does he think he is? And some, those who truly had a heart for God understood exactly what he was saying. You know, Jesus, Jesus claimed it. And that's why you and I can have confidence in him as well. So let's look at, um, instead of, you know, we usually talk about the resurrection at Easter. So today, let's look at the prophecies just a little bit about his first coming. You know, there, there are some significant things that I take away from prophecies that have been fulfilled, predictive prophecies. There's some things you take away from it. <laughs> One of the things I take away from it is there's got to be a divine intellect behind the Old Testament and the New Testament, written over a thousand plus years by all these different authors. And there are things said in the Old Testament, you know, there's, we're not really sure how many because some are a little more difficult to translate. A conservative number would be 30, 300, I mean, 300 some prophecies. But there's at least 60 major prophecies, maybe 61 major prophecies about Jesus. And so the, the fact that that, the Old Testament and those prophecies parallel to the New Testament and are fulfilled in the New Testament, wow, that, there has to be a divine intellect behind that. Uh, to me, it establishes the fact that there is a God. So, you know, we have the universe that says to me, screams intellectual design, intelligent design. I, I mean, it just screams it. In fact, we're told in Romans that nature alone makes us without excuse to believe that there's a God. <clears throat> and, and so when I look at the prophecies as well, it gives, gives me any, even more reason to believe there is a holy God. And another thing about these prophecies, to me, it authenticates the deity of Jesus. I mean, let's face it, a mere man, there's no way a mere man could say the things that Jesus said and fulfill those prophecies. You know, a lot of the prophecies, an individual could fulfill a couple of those prophecies. It could be true about them. But all of them? I mean, Jesus was batting a thousand when it came to prophecies. None of them were a hit and miss. I mean, they were all a bullseye, every single one. So to me, the prophecies authenticate the deity, the deity of Jesus. And it also, it also demonstrates to me the inspiration of scripture. <clears throat> Mere man could not come up with this. Man cannot just write these words. It, scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit. It is written by the Holy Spirit through man's hands. But it's in, inspired. I, I mean, that's why I have confidence in it. Because man can't make this stuff up. These guys over a thousand plus years writing all this stuff and it fits so perfectly together, especially about the prophecies. So let me, let me, let's just look at five of them. I mean, there's so many different ones we could look at. I just randomly picked five. 
One's the born of a virgin. That one kind of pretty much eliminated everybody else, right? So that's why I chose that first. Isaiah 7, 14, here's the prophecy. All right, then the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. A virgin. In Matthew chapter one, we see the fulfillment of this prophecy. It says, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now Joseph, whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. Jesus, and it was in a dream, Jesus, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Now, only a man of faith could believe that story. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save the people from their sins. All this occurred, so listen to this, all of this occurred so as to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet, Isaiah. And then it quotes Isaiah 7:14. The virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Now when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. Notice he didn't ask for a backup dream. He didn't ask for any other verification. I'm telling you what, we, we don't give Joseph a lot of attention. I'm telling you what, this guy was an amazing man of faith. What little we know about him, he was an incredible person to take on this role. Knowing that there would be a lot of shame attached to it because, you know, the neighbors are going to talk. And he was willing to take that. He didn't care. Because he had heard from God. And when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relationship with her until her son was born. And Joseph named him Jesus. Wow. So being born of a virgin... A huge prophecy. And Jesus is the only one that has ever fulfilled that one. Now, the next one that I chose, <clears throat> a lot of different people could have done this one. The house of David. That the Messiah would come from the house of David, King David. Jeremiah 23, 5. For the time is coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up a righteous descendant from King David's line, 
<clears throat> and he will be a king who rules with wisdom and, and he will do what is just right throughout the land. And then in Luke chapter three, verse 31, chapter three deals with the lineage of Jesus. And in the last part of chapter, uh, verse 31, there's that little phrase there. It says, Nathan was the son of David. So Jesus came from the house of David. Number three, born in Bethlehem, but not from Bethlehem. Micah um, 5.2. But you, O Bethlehem, are only a small village among all the people of Judah, yet a ruler of Israel whose origins are in the, the distant past. That's an interesting phrase there. The distant past. I mean, Jesus is eternal. Eternal past, eternal present, eternal future. Will come from you on my behalf. So God was saying, Bethlehem, the Messiah is going to be born in your town. Now, the fulfillment, Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from the east, eastern lands arrived. You know that story. <clears throat> but Jesus was born exactly where the Old Testament prophet said he would be born. Several people could have done that one. This one would have been a little harder. You couldn't have control. I mean, but here again, you can't have control over where you're born. Your parents do, but you don't. You can't have control over what family line you're born from. You don't have any control over that. And then in the fourth one that kind of always thought was interesting that we don't pay attention to very much, his bones would not be broken. The bones of Jesus would never be broken. In Psalms 34, it says, for the Lord protects the bones of the righteous. Not one of them is broken. He, he's talking about the Messiah here. And this is one of the verses that Jesus was referring to that this is me that this is talking about. And in John 19, you see what was happening during a crucifixion. Usually it takes a couple of days for a person to die. And usually they actually would die by asphyxiation because the way they would position them on the cross, they would have to raise themselves up. Remember, their, their feet had been nailed into the, in, into the cross and they would have to raise their, themselves up in order to breathe because the way they were positioned, it would be very difficult to breathe. And so they're raising themselves up, putting pressure on that, that, that nail, that spike that's through their feet. So it was very painful. And after a while, they just, they can't do it anymore. And, and they just, they just die from asphyxiation. And because the religious guys who were so bent on Jesus being crucified, it's, I find it so interesting that they rejected the Savior, the Messiah, but yet they were so bent on keeping the rules. They even broke rules by having his trial at night, which was against the rules. 
but they wanted to make sure they kept the Sabbath right. And the Sabbath was getting ready to come. Jesus was on the cross from nine o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the afternoon. And um, so they asked that, um, hey, we got to hasten this. We got to get this done because uh, we don't want to mess up our Sabbath. While they were killing the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus said he was the Lord of the Sabbath. So the order was given to break the legs of the three condemned prisoners. And by breaking the legs, then they couldn't raise up to breathe, and so they would die really quick. So they broke the legs of the two prisoners on either side of Jesus. And then the Bible says in Verse 33 of John 19. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead, so they did, didn't break his legs. And they verified he was dead. That's why they thrust the spear, spear in his side. So even an obscure thought, what's the big deal about bones being broken? But that was a prophecy. And it was said that Jesus' bones would not be broken. And they weren't. Something he would have no control over. Because he was dead. So even in the little things, prophecy was fulfilled. And when God cares about the little things... It just strengthens my faith. That's why the Bible tells us in Psalms that God cares about the little things in your life. He cares about when you sit down. He cares about when you stand up. That's insignificant, right? But he cares about that. He cares about every aspect of your life. So these, what seemly or small minor prophecies are really not. They just bolster the evidence that Jesus is who he said he was. The last one I want to deal with is the darkness over the land. Uh, obviously, that was something you couldn't predict and have control over. In Amos, Amos chapter 8 verse 9. In that day, the day that Jesus is going to, the Messiah is going to be crucified, says the sovereign Lord, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth while it is still day. Only a God thing, right? I, I mean, you, you could say, well, that, that goes against the laws of gravity and I mean, that breaks a lot of laws. Well, God's the author of those laws. He created those laws. Uh, that's why in the Old Testament, there's a story where the sun stood still. Uh, you know, we act like that's a big deal. Well, to us, it's a big deal to God. What is that? That's nothing. I mean, if he can create the universe, he can hold the 
son still for a while, can he? Sure he can. I mean, it's not a miracle to him. And so to cause a deep darkness to cover the planet. And then in Matthew 27 at the crucifixion, halfway through the crucifixion for Jesus, it says, at noon, darkness fell across the whole land for three hours until three o'clock. Just like the prophet said in Amos. Wow. This is just five. There's 60 major ones. Over 300 other, I mean, there's a lot of prophecies. And I, you know, some of you, you're very much aware of this. I'm going to share it again anyway. In his book, On Evidence That Demands a Verdict, Josh McDowell, he shares a story about a guy named Peter Stoner. And a guy named Peter Stoner and a guy named Robert Newman, they wrote a book entitled uh, Science Speaks. And the book was based on the science of probability. And it was vouched for by the American Scientific Affiliation. So it was affirmed that what they were presenting was accurate. And so they, they said, okay, what's the probability of Jesus, one man? The probability of one man, specifically Jesus, fulfilling only eight of the over 300 prophecies, Old Testament prophecies. Let's just say eight. Well, what they came up to, the conclusion, was that it would be, the probability would be one in 10 to the 17th power. So one with 17 zeros after it, which is 100 quadrillion. That's, that's a lot. Now, here's how they illustrated it. And I I know most of you have heard this before, but this is a good one to share. They said it it would be like taking the state of Texas. Texas is our second largest land mass. And uh, I I lived in Fort Worth for a while when I was going to school. And one time I was just trying to figure out, you know, we were going to drive back home in North Carolina. And it was really discouraging when I, I realized the state of Texas that it's the same distance for me to drive to Fort Worth to my hometown in North Carolina as it takes to drive from the east side of Texas to the west side of Texas. That's a big state. So he said if you covered the state of Texas with silver dollars, it would be two feet deep. That's what a hundred quadrillion would be. And, and then if you took just one silver dollar and marked it with an X and then just randomly threw it out in the state of Texas and then stirred the pot, then take a guy, blindfold him, and just set him out anywhere, in the, well, just put him in the middle of Texas and then let him walk in any direction he wants to go for as long as he wants and then still blindfolded, just reach down randomly and pick up one silver dollar, the probability of one to a hundred quadrillion 
would be that he would pick up the marked silver dollar the first time. So the odds are astronomically against him. So the probability of one man fulfilling eight of the prophecies is astronomical. Now imagine 60 of the prophecies. Imagine 300 of the prophecies, one man. A single person might fulfill a couple of them. But eight, 60, over 300? Our faith is not based on fantasy. Our faith is not based on wishful thinking. Our faith, our faith is based on truth and substance. You know, this is a whole other reason why people want to discredit the Bible. If you want to discredit Jesus, you have to discredit the prophecies. Anything that would prove that Jesus is who he said he was. So if I discredit the scripture, which people have been trying to do that for centuries, and they've never been able to, because Jesus said, Nothing's going to ever change in God's word. Heaven and earth can be destroyed, but God's word will stand. So our belief, our faith in that Jesus, that we celebrate his coming the first time, is based on evidence, verifiable truth, it bolsters my confidence that he is who he said he is. And when he said, today you saw this prophecy fulfilled, he was declaring, I'm the Messiah. And his resurrection and the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, well, that gave him the right to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So when you celebrate Jesus this Christmas, celebrate with a little more confidence. Let's pray.